Well, hello. Welcome to Production Wise. It's a podcast in which we celebrate the work of the greatest music producers living and dead in search of their signature sound to find out what it's all about by listening to their complete production discographies. Now you know what the podcast is, you can find out who's presenting it. I am your host, James. I'm joined by another of your hosts, Graham. Good morning, Graham. How are you? Good morning. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, and that's good to know about how you are. Um, In this episode, the final episode of Series 1 of Production Wise, well, the first part of the final episode of Series 1 of Production Wise, we're going as big as it gets for a small-scale podcast like ours. We're going to be looking into the work of the hip-hop master, the bad kid, the loop digger, the crate digger. <laughs> Does he dig anything else? <laughs> he's been known to dig. It's He's a digger. He digs. It's Mad Lib, Otis Jackson Jr., Mercurial Genius... Um, this is this is rather exciting, is it not, Graham? I am very excited. Okay, well that's that's nice. Um, this episode, I suppose, was sort of conceived as a tribute to MF Doom, and we will sort of get into that a little bit more uh, in the episode itself. But I suppose Madlib's biggest project, his collaboration with MF Doom, Mad Villainy. A real classic, uh, classic hip hop album of this century. Um, it's a speck in his discography, really, isn't it? I mean, we're not gonna. I mean, there's so much to talk about over the course of these two episodes. We're not even gonna get to Mad Villainy until part two. Um, but there's just a huge amount of his discography to speak about in this episode alone. What sort of stuff are we gonna be talking about in this episode, Graham? We're going to be covering Loop Pack, Declaim, Quasimoto, DJ Rells, J-Lib, Yesterday's New Quintet, and many more. Well, you mentioned uh, Yesterday's New Quintet. There's a there's a key four-letter word. We're not a very profane podcast here at Production Wise, but there is a, a key four-letter word that we're going to be using in this episode, and that word is jazz. Um, <laughs> so we are going to be getting into the realms of jazz in this episode and far beyond. Um... This is this is this is a real treat. This is our gift to you, whoever you might be. We hope you enjoy it. Our exploration part one of the work of Madlib. Madlib. Uh, what do we know about Madlib, Graham? Uh, we know that his uh, real name is Otis Jackson Jr. Um, that his dad was uh, Otis Jackson Sr. And his mother, Dora Sineska Jackson. Uh, His dad was a famous musician and his mother as well in her own right. She wrote his dad's music. So he grew up around music. He's got a younger brother, uh, Michael Jackson, who you might also know as Oh No. Oh No. He may pop up at some point. He may. And basically, Madlib has been making music since he was 11. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Based on this, pretty much non-stop since he's been 11. I don't know about you, Graham. I think the word oeuvre is overused and misused. You might disagree. Um, 
but I think Madlib can truly be said to have an, an oeuvre. He has an enormous output of music. Um, we, so vast, you kind of can't get to the bottom of it, I think. How has it been doing the listening for this episode for you? He is one productive producer. Mm -hmm. I'll say that. It's been pretty tough. Um, I think last time I looked, there was 60 hours of music, maybe. Oh, yeah, very heavy. Maybe, but plus a bit more. Like, you know, we definitely, I I definitely didn't get through everything. Um, And then he released an album yesterday, you know, (laughs) as of recording. This is his kind of, his jam. This is what he does. He sleeps two hours a night. Yep. And then the rest of the time he's making music. Yes. Um, um, but I, you know what? I've enjoyed it. We've taken a little bit longer to record this one. And I've enjoyed just fully immersing myself in the world of Madlib. Yeah, that was a good idea on your part, Graham. We needed that. Um, I was going to ask, actually. Uh, I, I've, I'm over the, the, the shouting part of the podcast now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk at a bit more of a, a, level, a level pitch. I was going to ask, what did you not listen to? Do you know? Yeah, I didn't listen to uh, Dudley Perkins' Expressions in 2006 because mm-hmm. um, it wasn't on Spotify and I was feeling quite lazy. Oh, fair enough. I didn't get too uh, blunted in the Bomb Shelter, which is a mm. um, which is like a reggae collection of, of, of stuff. I didn't manage to get to that. Um. I don't really think there's much else. We'll get to the Medicine Show series a bit later on, um, but neither of us covered the even-numbered entries of that project because they're not they're not original productions. They're DJ mixes. There must be some other stuff, but there there really isn't much I didn't listen to. I don't think maybe one or two things I couldn't get my hands on because of streaming services and things like that. But really did listen to a lot of stuff over the last few weeks. Um, now, we, we're dealing with, with Madlib. He's a, he's a hip-hop producer. He's a lot more than that as well. Um, but for the most part, what we're dealing with here are, are hip-hop beats, hip-hop instrumentals, hip-hop albums, um, lots and lots of, of, of different influences, an incredibly eclectic array of samples used, styles, approaches, um, also a huge number of pseudonyms and aliases. Um, I saw an interview with him where he was asked, you know, with, with all your aliases, are you not worried that people won't know it's you? And he said, that's what I want. I hope people don't know it's me, you know? Um, and I, I, just, I just thought, oh, it's so cool. And, and I really didn't know a lot about this. I knew about maybe a handful of his kind of alter egos and stuff like that. I didn't know quite how deep it goes, and we will explore that a little bit later on in the episode. Um, Ahead of really getting into the albums and the discography, Graham, um, having listened to so much of his music over the last few weeks, I just wanted to to ask if if there were any kind of like typical trademarks uh, and moves and sounds that you tend to hear in a Madlib production. What would you? What, what can you kind of expect to hear ahead of hearing one? I think you can expect to hear incredible sort of samples, mm-hmm. um, chopped and skewed 
in such a way that it, it, he makes it sound as if he's actually record, re-recorded it in, in an instrument and yeah. really he's taken a sample and changed it. And it's quite sometimes he changes it quite subtly. Um, yeah. And also there is just a general atmosphere and vibe to every single song he has produced. Mm-hmm. And it is the similar kind of atmosphere and vibe. It all sounds kind of raw, human, very intimate. Yeah, there there is a definite um, worship of music as well. Um, a communion with music, Graham. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, there, there were just a few things that really leapt out to me. I kind of knew these already from, you know, my, my sort of glancing experience with, with Mad Lib. Um, but a lot of, like, a lot of dingy bells, a lot of, like, yep. boring kind of sounds, a lot of, a lot of warbly bass, a lot of zip sounds. Hear that a lot. Um... And also a lot of kind of a lot of the a lot of the a lot of the percussion and beats have this kind of like heavy limb feeling, like there's a sort of an extra G of gravity working on them. They're slightly lollopy and slow a lot of the time. Some some projects are more cleaned up than others, but um, there's the, yeah there's there's definitely a lot of fuzz and a lot of a lot of noise on a lot of these these records as well. Um, I did also want to ask Graham. What experience did you have with 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 Madlib before? Had you listened to a ton of his music previously to this? I'd listened to some bits and pieces, but nowhere near anything. As like, I had I had no idea that his over us spread out this much. Sure, you know, sure. I'd, I'd listened to maybe like four albums <laughs> yeah. that he'd produced. Yeah, um, yeah, probably pr- probably pretty similar for me. Um, and I, I think it is worth saying at this point that you know the the, the work that that Madlib has, has produced over the years, and is continuing to make. I mean, when I've been reading reports about his most recent album, Sound Ancestors, a couple of articles said that he's planning to release an album a month this year, or so. You know what I mean? So it's not it's it not stopping right. anytime soon. Um, you you kind of you kind of can't get to the to the to the bottom of everything that he's done and you you can't encompass um his work you know some a a couple of humble guys like ourselves we you know it is more or less an impossible task to do what we did with say nigel godrich with madlib it is it's a totally different um beast this discography um so we might take a slightly different approach this time we'll see how it goes i wish you the very best of luck, Graham, as we embark on our little journey together. <laughs> right, so, Madlib. First on the scene uh, with the band Loot Pack. Hmm. So this was him, uh, Wild Child and DJ Rome's. Uh, and they caught the attention of a man known as Peanut Butter Wolf. Your friend of mine. And he... Yeah, he he just started Stone's Throw Records. Using the success of Loot Pack, this first album, Sound Pieces, in 1999, this really launched the label. And Madlib has stayed with this label the whole time. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure almost every release he's released has been on this label. Um, Peanut Butter Wolf sort of pushes him and sort of encourages him to release everything, essentially. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, but this is the start, really. So 
we've got that, and then we've also got Kazi and Madlib uh, did an album in 1996 called Black Market Seminar, but it wasn't released until, I want to say, 2016? I think it was like the yeah. 20th anniversary. It was released fairly recently. Yeah, yeah. Um, they basically found it, it had been recorded on reel to reel tape, and it had sort of just, they just never done anything with it. Um, so that was released. But yeah, it was, it was recorded before Loot Pack, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then finally, we're going to talk about uh, Declaim, otherwise known as Dudley Perkins, and Ill Mind Music, which was released in 1999 as well. Um, and they all sort of, they're all kind of similar sounding, very early, a kind of way of where he's going to go, sort of a good jumping point, I think. Yeah, it's, it is kind of, I, I don't, at, the, at this stage, you you don't really have um, Madlib in full flight, I don't think. But you you do have a you do have a perspective making these beats. There is a unified feeling to them. Um, I think probably the closest to where he ends up is found on Ill Mind Music um, because he's he's using these kind of eccentric guitar loops. Um, uh, you know, possibly not quite as as creative and and um and interesting as some of the ones that he came up with. I did find some of them really by the end of the track started to to sound a bit like okay, we've 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 kind of heard this now. Um, but uh, maybe on the Loop Pack album, it really is just sounding like a pretty solid '90s hip hop underground release. It's a it's an absolutely enormous album. You know, it's about it's about seventy five minutes, um, and it does it does feel it to an extent. It also feels a little bit old fashioned with some of the rap styles and the, the DJ scratches and things like that. Um, and you know, some some tracks are stronger than others, um, and maybe there isn't the depth of production that we will expect a little bit later on. Um, but I don't know about you, of these early releases, my favourite was the Kazi collaboration, Black Market Seminar. I did like, I, you know, I liked how that felt sort of like, for me, like you're walking into like a private members club. Like it really <laughs> did feel like they did just record that, you know, to pass around friends and stuff. Sure. It wasn't necessarily for the public consumption. Um, and, you know, it's cool how dusty and sort of crackly it was and sort of dark. Yeah. Compared to the other two, which are a little bit brighter, a little bit warmer, and a little bit more fun. Yeah, this one, this one was definitely what the the the, the album had that for me the perfect BPM, the perfect kind of head nodding BPM, where it just it, it just kind of goes and goes and goes. Um, sounds very very blunted and smoky and rough and booming and bassy. Um, See, and, and it does sound burnt onto tape. Definitely sounds like it's recorded to tape, um, but it just—it's just—it's just kind of wallop, crack, wallop, crack, wallop, crack for an hour. And this kind of hip hop—that's honestly all I really need. And you know, occasionally a little psychedelic flourish, um, a little bit of a more—you know—a few more interesting textures here and there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, the, the, Kazi's not the most interesting MC on earth. He sounds a lot like Madlib, um, but I kind of don't need anything all that much from from this kind of stuff. It's a it's a beat tape 
and the rapping is pretty rudimentary. Mad Libs rapping generally is pretty rudimentary. Um, but I, I personally, I kind of appreciate that. I don't mind that at all. I really liked um, the Loot Pack album just because I just love what he did with the samples. Sure. And sort of, it's that first, you don't hear it as much on the Kazi album, but I think on this one, you really do hear him just taking one clear sample and just really like, I just think he's really good at fine, listening to songs and identifying which part is going to make another you know, good hook in the song that he wants, the beat he wants to make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I love the fact that I've heard him say that, you know, he if he's making a beat from a record, he'll make a beat from the entire record. Like, he'll make loads mm. of beats. So he just has a library <laughs> of, like, thousands and thousands of beats. And I've also heard him say, when he when he works, collaborates with artists, which we'll talk about later, you know, he's not, he's, he's not like, a, in the studio with them. He says he doesn't want to hold their hands. He sends them some beats, and they pick which ones they want to use and get on with it. Yeah. You know? And that kind of speaks... To, I just think you start to see that in Loot Pack. It's cool to also see him as something of, like, a... You know, a bit front and centre. This is probably the last time we see him so front and centre until um, he works with Jay Diller, maybe. Yeah, they, they definitely seem very happy to have him. Um, and he's he's very celebrated. They Like, his name is said so often on the album. Um, and also, I think you, you get the, the, the first early signs of his skits and and little interludes and things like that there's the whole concept here with with this kind of like that the album is a form of medicine that is good for your ears and he's doing all these like silly voices and things like that and like he's a patient talking to a doctor talking to a nurse um you know they kind of sound a bit young and stoned and <laughs> which which they are um uh and yeah, I mean, I suppose ultimately the album could be a bit shorter, but it's a pre- it's a pretty strong it's a pretty strong um, debut. And I mean, he's he's the best thing about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't for, for me in the discography it doesn't stand out all that much. But it's it's a pretty good start, I would say. Um, the uh, the the Declaim album I found to be very thin. The only real fun thing I I had was was the, b- between each track. There's the little and then it says which track is next. Um, yeah, that's um, a sample of Barstool by Harry Patch. Um, the first time he's taken like a really strange sort of yes, um, sort of arty classical music and just completely put it in a completely different context, you know. And that is just like a tiny bit of like some strange, <laughs> sweet, you know. Yes. free jazz weirdness um but yeah I, I did kind of like that little coda on each song but yeah it's, i i found that album a bit uh i didn't like the skits no and and it was it was kind of over over before i'd even really started to get into it i think you know before before yeah. i knew it i was I, the 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 bonus instrumental tracks had come in i was like oh was, was that the whole album okay fair enough um but sl- some slightly more eccentric beat making on there and a bit of a sign of things to come i would say so, moving on from those, uh, next year, by this point he'd moved into Stone's Throw Records, which was in this nice house in the Hollywood Hills. Um, and there was a basement. In the basement, it used to be like a, a war shelter, you know, from from like the Cold War. They All these Americans built like 
um, bunkers and the bottom mm-hmm. of the houses. So they called it the bomb shelter, and that was the record. That was basically the in-house recording studio. Uh, and he moved in um, and came up with his first sort, his first alias, really, mm. Quasimoto. Lord um, Quas. Lord Quas. So he released, you know, a couple of albums with Quasimoto. So we've got The Unseen in 2000, um, The Further Adventures of Lord Quas in 2005, uh, Yes, Sir, Whatever in 2013. Now, I find it interesting that he, I don't, I think he's done with Quas. Yeah. From the last couple of interviews, he says he doesn't fuck with him anymore, he doesn't meet him, doesn't talk to him. Yeah, he doesn't even know. know what he's up to these days. Uh, but yeah, I find it interesting that initially Lord, that was just like a little bit of an extra fun thing he'd done and put on the back of a tape. And Peanut Butter Wolf was kind of like, who's this guy? <laughs> I want to hear more of this guy. And he was just like, oh, that's that's Quasimodo. You know, he has a high-pitched voice. Um, and yeah, he basically took Mushrooms for a month to mm. record this first album. Took Mushrooms for a month and this is the result. The Unseen yeah. in the year 2000. Um I think the unseen is is the first uh, kind of undisputed classic from Madlib, um, and actually, kind of listening to it for this project is is the first time I've because I you know I love this album and I've been listening to it for a long time, but I've never really considered that it is a duo. It is Madlib and Lord Quaz together forming Cosimoto. Yeah, um, because obviously what you know what what we've got here is Madlib rapping um, and then speeding up his vocal so it's pitched up a bit. Um, but I never... But it kind of it kind of um, alters between the two different voices throughout. And I just thought, oh, that's a, that's a trippy aspect of it. I've never thought they're actually trading bars and, yeah. and collaborating with each other and they might be friends, you know. Um, what, I, what I love about... The Unseen is it's got this feeling of it. It's got this feeling of leaving the house for the first time in several days um, and kind of being a bit overwhelmed by kind of how bright and busy the world is and just being a bit like, I am not, I'm not ready to deal with this. Um, There's also a kind of reprehensible aspect to the character of Lord Quas himself. Um, in a recent New York Times interview, he was described as a kind of the personification of the id. You know, he's this little yellow monster with a brick in his hand and a blunt in his mouth, kind of going around doing all these reprehensible things um, on drugs. Um, and I just, I just love that this, this is, this is where the first, this is, this is also his first truly psychedelic album. Um, and it's it's vast as well. I mean, how many tracks are there? Like twenty five songs on this album. It's absolutely huge. But it's it's just kind of it's just one classic out one classic track, a classic hook after another. Um, I th- I think this is easily one of the strongest albums here. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'd say this is like I've written here. This is like the the Madlib blueprint. Sure. You know, you've got obscure jazz and funk samples you've got like a strange high concept and it it's just yeah it's a vibe it's cool it's also got i and i hadn't heard this before 
But one of the songs, um, Return of the Loop Digger, mm -hmm. there's a part near the middle where it samples Holy Are You by The Electric Prunes, which is a record I like love. Really? And then uh, the sort of, they're this 60s band and this composer, David Axelrod, was allowed to arrange two albums for them and basically the band were like, couldn't play the music so they actually just got fired and the record label and their manager let him just get on with it and they got sessions musicians to make these two albums and he's gone and said uh, Madlib's gone and said that David Axon brought to someone that he sort of was one of his influences so it was cool to hear the actual physical sample so early on um, and it's cool because that it's again it's just he's so good at recontextualising a song and a little yeah. bit of a song um, but yeah, there are so many good tracks on this one. Well, also, I kind of think it's it's the, okay. Madlib isn't the best rapper in the world, um, but I'm personally not the biggest fan of rappers. I can't, you know, I'm not the kind of person who's on Genius all the time looking up lyrics, and I don't love super lyrical rappers and things like that. For me, it's a very Goldilocks thing, as you'll see throughout this episode i think with some of the people that we that we that we cover um but i do i i do like these kind of reprehensible lyrics i do like the criminality on this a lot i also like the very off the cuff feeling to it um you know it really just sounds like him in a room on his own just just kind of babbling into it but i i also find the vocal contributions from Quaz and Madlib to be the most compelling thing about this album. Um, and it's, it's an amazing collection of beats, but they're not very showy. They do sort of take a back seat to an extent. Every single one is, is well worked and, and carries you through. And all of them are constantly getting interrupted by, by samples and interludes and things like that. Um, but I, it's kind of the, the the rare exception with a Madlib project where I'm really following the MC. Um, a lot of the time I feel like they get in the way. <laughs> but it, 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 it kind of is my favourite thing about, about the Cosimoto project. Um, their vocal trade-off and their lyrical approach. I also think you get a good insight into Madlib's ego on this album um because i would say he's a pretty egoless artist he doesn't really like to t to talk about his work he doesn't really show off he likes to hide behind uh aliases and things like that as we've already said what you do get is him bragging about finding rare loops and rare breaks and he buys all the records before you've even had a chance to to look for them um, and he's he's like greedy for vinyl and greedy for music and like the way he brags about it it's like no, nobody cares <laughs> you know what I mean? no 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 one's no no one is going god no one's looking at madly going I well, wish I had all those breaks and those rare Brazilian records and only he's thinking about that but he just has no connection with other people <laughs> <laughs> he's locked in his bedroom with his records all the time or he's he's crate digging 
So it's the only thing on his mind. So you really, really get the sense that he is truly obsessed with this stuff on this album to the extent that that's his braggadocio when he's when he's rapping, is is talking about all the vinyl he accumulates. I just I just love that so much. The insight you get into him as a person. I think that's also why he had to invent Lord Quaz, mm. you know, so that he didn't feel like he had to, you know, rap about things that he wasn't interested in. He could, you know, let Lord Quaz handle that stuff. So then, yeah, he can. All he cares about is music. All he cares about is music. <laughs> yes. You know, that's fair, you know, that's fair enough. That's his lifeblood. Um, what did you think of the further adventures of Lord Quaz? I had never listened to this album before, and I I don't know why, because as I say, I I, I love The Unseen. Um, you know, it's one of my favourite 21st century hip-hop albums. Uh, yeah, so I, I really don't know why I'd never listened to Further Adventures. This is easily one of the most difficult albums in this discography, I thought. Um, really? Yeah, some of the, I, I'm not saying it's one of the worst. I, I, don't, I don't think that's true. But some of the stuff that he's he's rapping over, some of the stuff that he's presenting, is so abrasive and strange, and at times barely even there. Um, it's constantly being interrupted. You know, there's the song, I think it's called Bus Driver. Yeah. As far as I'm aware, that was a single. But it keeps getting interrupted by this just angry person shouting where all, all the music drops out and it's just a sample of someone shouting to get off the bus or whatever. Um, there's the, uh, there's also the song life is that's what life is. So it's a, it's a fairly like smooth hip hop tune. And then every now and again, it just drops out so that this sample about that's what life is can come in. And it, this album just kept souring itself you know, every every time it kind of settled into a groove, there'd be some really unpleasant bit of organ or piano or something that would mm. come in and just completely derail it. Um, to to the extent, I mean, to the extent that it's not even psychedelic anymore. I kind of view The Unseen as a psychedelic album. The Further Adventures of Lord Quaz is something else. You know, it, it's just got absolutely no commercial aspirations, this. And it's even bigger. It's a full 10 minutes longer. 26 tracks it, it's just so monstrous and having never listened to it before i you know this is one i really do need to spend more more time with there were definitely standout tracks for me and and times where the difficulty worked for it and times where it was just kind of plainly satisfying um but it, it's just amazing to see him totally um off the lead on this on this album doing whatever he wants and i think really making his most difficult straight up hip-hop tracks i don't know how did you feel about it graham i thought it was pretty cool it, it seems like it's like a parody of urban life <laughs> like the whole album and i like how he used he kept using um these samples from uh melvin van people's sort of black exploitation that kind of era films i think he used like in eight tracks they've got like samples of different like dialogue i liked all the film dialogue and stuff love it yeah and i was sort of he uses that to make this kind of like cool strange vibe where you just never know when a song is going to completely cut short and someone else something else is going to come in you're going to have sort of 
stand-up bits of like old stand-up records or like adverts yeah. i just i love it it is it is mad kitchen sink stuff um also really one song in particular i found was interesting just because it he does this a lot repeats this <clears> kind of thing it's like different beats throughout his albums he's produced um shrew music had like this gnarly synth yeah like it's really sort of heavy you know pulsing synth um and he sampled um four duets in odd meter by dick hyman this sort of strange abstract classical music song and again just taking that and turned it into this like unearthly sound right which right. he does again in a couple of albums like he does that with like guitars and things and like other string sections um i like it when he he gets a beat and goes quite hard it doesn't happen that often no. normally he's quite chilled out and mellow yeah, I, th- I also thought at the end of um, the exclusive that has a kind of completely incongruous um, feature from MED on it. It, yeah. you know, the, the the as you'll get a lot with 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 Madlib tracks, beat switches or the song will start with a fade out and then instantly move into a into a different beat or so. Or, you know, that might happen <laughs> at the end or you know. Um, the very end of that track, it fades out on this total doomy horror movie vibe where the synths get really, really deep and, and, and scary. Um, anytime he brings in a horror element, I, I, I love it. And, you know, we, we'll see that more on, 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 other, um, on other projects, but that, that is one of my most, that's one of my favourite aspects of, of his sound and his approach. But We've... I, yeah, sorry, sorry. Go, go ahead, Graham. I was going to say with Yes Sir or whatever. Um, mm. Did that make much of an impact on you? Well, Yes Sir, or whatever is. Well, when it came out, um, I I didn't listen to it when it came out because it was kind of presented as a you know it was like a half an hour odds and ends album, um, and yeah. I, you know I think the unseen has grown on me since then. Really, I liked the unseen back then, but I wasn't like a massive fan. So when it came out, I was a bit like, oh, interesting, more Quasimoto, whatever. Um, but I just never bothered with it. Um, and I thought it'd be fairly lightweight. And it's, you know, it doesn't have anywhere near the ambition that the that um, the Unseen or definitely doesn't have the ambition of, of the further adventures. But they were surpri- it was it's probably the most accessible, easiest to digest of the three projects. Um it just didn't really have many big high moments, but it was very, very consistent, I thought. Yeah, I, I liked Seasons Change and I'm Confused, but it, I, I was missing the kind of wild concept, you know, of the first two. Yeah, you, you, you kind of, you expect to be stepping out into the streets with these two maniacs when, when you listen to a, to a Quasimoto project. You know, you expect there to be a kind of like, what the, what is going to happen next kind of feeling. That was that wasn't there on um, yes sir whatever. Um, if you'll forgive me, Graham, um, I do like that on the track uh, f- the clown from um, from the further adventures. Uh, Quaz directly thanks Madlib for the quality of the beat. He says peace <laughs> to Madlib for this hot butter soul track, which I quite liked. <laughs> I like that. I am um, talking about that album. I quite liked Closer because it featured MF Doom. It did. Which unfortunately, rest in peace, 
MF Doom. Yeah, I should have, I should have said I, sh- I I planned to say earlier on in the episode. And we'll do it now. Basically, we were we were we were going to do something different for this for this um, episode. Um, we were, we we had kind of started doing the listening for for a different producer, but um, when when it came to putting the playlist together, I went, oh my god, I don't want to listen to any of this music. <laughs> um, particularly because there were four albums by an artist we've already covered that I really didn't have any interest in at all. And I was like, do I really want to do that already? Also, maybe a bit too similar to someone else we covered. Um, And, you know, obviously MF Doom uh, passed away uh, kind of at the beginning of autumn last year. We only found out about it on New Year's Eve. Um, And I think MF Doom and Madlib are best known for the same project, um, and so I thought doing Madlib would be a nice way to kind of pay tribute to MF Doom. Uh, little did I know how, you know, that, that seemingly frivolous gesture would lead to so much anxiety in putting this, in putting this episode together <laughs> alongside Quaz. Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool that this is, is this the first time they worked together? I think it is. Um, no, no, no. This is this, well, is, sort the year, of this around... is the year after Mad Villainy, actually. Um, ah, think... okay, yeah. So this is a nice little extra, yeah, extra yeah. cut. Yes, and I also, Quaz and Madlib, as Quasimoto appear on a couple of tracks on Mad Villainy, so they're kind of they're swapping features a little bit, which is quite nice. But we'll we'll get to Mad Villainy a little bit later. We'll get to that. So before we get to that, we're gonna we're gonna go for one of his bigger collaborations. Mm. Um, so, released in 2003, uh, a collaboration with Jay Diller. So it's Madlib and Jay Diller. It's J-Lib, Champion Sound. Now, I remember this being a big deal. Really? When this came out. Yeah, I remember it being all over sort of the blogs. Right, right. Where people were like, this is a big hip-hop moment, you know, okay. a big album. Um, I, I, I mean... I, I I didn't have any inkling that any of these people existed in two thousand three, um, yeah. And this 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 one, uh, Jlib, I think I think when you are getting into Madlib, you see that collab- that collaboration, you go, "There's an album where the two of them are on there together. What the hell, you know?" Yeah. And i've i've always had maybe slightly raised expectations for this album you know you you just assume oh it's going to be the best album ever um i don't think it is that but so i've always kind of dismissed this album a little bit because it wasn't as like amazing as i hoped it might be so coming coming back for this revisiting it was really really nice not having all that pressure for it to be quite so amazing had you ever listened to this before? Did the blogosphere convince you, Graham, back in 2003? Yeah, I think I had listened to it. I also had a cousin, Dan, who turned me on to a lot of good hip-hop music. Back in the days where you would just have hard drives full of music, sure. sort of collecting. Uh, I remember he swapped me his hard drive once and I instantly had, like, you know, 10,000 songs. Yeah, six days from, like, of the 1980s. Hip-hop. Yeah, <laughs> raging from, like, the 1980s all the way up to, like, 2005. So, wow. yeah, I, I remember listening to this um but i've never really been that sort of aware of jay diller again mm-hmm. rest in peace yeah dearly departed um but i think it's pretty it's very cool that they you know 
in any other sort of field or even in, in hip-hop, they would have maybe been rivals. But these nope. two guys were so cool and on a similar kind of frequency about music and stuff. Their idea was, let's just come together and destroy the music industry for a second. Let's <laughs> just like, you know, let's just put our forces together as yeah. opposed to, you know, because they just, they were hugely inspired by each other. And I think that's, that's pretty cool. You definitely get the, the the impression that they meet each other and go, someone who gets me. Like like how I feel with yeah. you, Graham. Um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, and uh, you know, J, uh, Jay Diller no longer being with us is an interesting aspect of this album, I think, um, because now Jay Diller is considered by many to be the greatest of all time, so amazingly influential, and he has an almost angelic aura around him um to the point where i think it's a little bit silly um with with jay diller you know the 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 the, the sort of common phrase around jay diller is jay diller changed my life or jay diller saved my life or whatever and if he did that's that's fine i'm not i'm not saying that that's a that's a bad thing but i do think it kind of misreads jay diller a little bit um, because when someone, you know, he was about 32 or 33 or 34 when he died, um, there is this atmosphere around people like that as if they've always been dead and they were always going to die very young, <laughs> like they knew that they were going to die young. Um, and that kind of, that's like retrofitted into their story them them dying um and i think it misrepresents them slightly because i think when you really listen donuts his final album you know i love that album i I think it's a great amazing and i I find it very moving but he did make that album while he was dying you know he made that in his hospital bed um and you can hear that to an extent but before then he wasn't dying and his music doesn't sound like that you know he is mcnasty you know he's he's bringing the filth flan filth on 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 these on these on these tracks and particularly as a rapper as well i love jay diller as a rapper and i i just love madlib and jay diller rapping over each other's stuff and p- particularly diller's rapping approach because he is a producer he's got he's got like i i would say unlike madlib Madlib is very loose, very lollopy, kind of very shambling and stumbling and a bit more eccentric. Jay Diller is his his beats on this are really hard and when he raps he's so welded to the to the kick and the snare. And I think that brings a really nice thing out of Madlib as well on these tracks. So you do get a slightly different approach on this one I think. Um yeah, this is this this is a better album than I remember. I don't know. What, what, how do you feel about it, Graham? I think it's good. I mean, I try to only focus on the Madlib produced tracks. Yeah, uh, with Jay rapping, because I thought uh, it's highly likely that we will probably cover Jay Diller at a later point, and then we can just revisit it. Yeah, and do the same from the other side, which I thought would be interesting if anything, because it's such. Because I love the fact that they split it so you know, clearly defined like yeah. that. Same number of tracks um, each. Yeah, and like, you know, each other track. And um, 
so yeah, it, it's interesting to hear Madlib sort of and his his loose kind of free freewheeling yes. style over these. When I did listen to the Jay Diller beats, sort of like you know, he's like a scientist essentially. He's Definitely. he's trying. He's a perfectionist. He's trying to get it perfect. Mm-hmm. Where I feel like Madlib is more like I just need to get it out of me. I need to do it, and it's done. And I it's would great. love and to know. And I'll just record the next track, and the next track, and the next track. Yeah, I, I would love to know what of all the of all the tracks we've listened to by Madlib. What was the most and the least laboured over? Like what? What's the? Song yeah, I don't know how long it takes him <laughs> in average, or yeah, it's interesting. From the sound, he of also hates minutes. I mean. I... <laughs> Yeah, and he hates talking about process as well. He, yeah. He's sort of like, I don't even think about it, I just do it. Which I, yeah. th- I quite I think is quite interesting, because that means he's never second-guessing himself. No, that's it. And, and, you know, it does kind of reflect on the, the maybe the, the quality of the overall discography. You know, like, is every single project we're going to talk about today totally essential from beginning to end? No. You know, and, and some of them are a bit like, OK, that was fine. Um but seeing it so starkly on this on this album is fascinating. I, I agree with you definitely. You get the impression of Jay Diller as as a perfectionist, and also they're they're, they're more high fidelity his 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 tracks as well. They hit a lot more harder, yeah. and yeah, Madlib does sound like a bit of a weirdo on this album in comparison. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of like slightly softer, you know, with all these weird old hokey psychedelic rock uh, samples and and things like that. But but even still, I think I, I, I still can't quite get my head around this album. I need to spend more time with it. Um, I, I didn't quite get to the bottom of it, I don't think, uh, Champion Sound. I really like the title track because, again, it, it sort of is another element of what he then just keeps repeating, yeah. which is he has this love of Indian Bollywood records, mm-hmm. like soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sort of samples this theme of this uh film which is sort of uh an indian version of the godfather oh and this this song has been sampled also by um uh the jizza oh fourth chamber on a liquid swords swords. yeah that's it um so so it's it's like a you know it's one of the few songs they samples that has like then also been sampled again or sampled previously but I just love what he does with these Indian strings and things and how he sort of makes them sound so cool. So fire. Very cool song. Yeah. Um, and then he has like that like stand up and fight by Fancy Black. He's the sort of guy that's going, the reggae guy that's going like, jumpy on sound. Oh, God, it was like listening to the it's... album for a minute there. <laughs> yeah, I think that's just that. I can see why they called it Champion Sound based on that one sort of song. Sure, sure. It's quite, it's very strong, but also, yeah, it just sort of shows he's, you know, he's he's slight, starting to get slightly more than just the seventies and fifties and sixties mm. weirdness, and he's now incorporating like Bollywood, and it's like, oh my god, what is he going to do next? Yeah, he's not just sticking to to black exploitation movies and soul samples and things like that. He's he's stepping out a little bit. Um, and we will see stranger and more esoteric sounds as, as things go on. Um, the same year, Graham, we got a very interesting album. Yeah, so this is um, Shades of Blue, which is it's a remix album, essentially. Yeah. 
So that's the um, Blue Note Records archive. So they're a big old jazz label, super influential and famous. And they just let him run run riot through all their music and see what he could do. Yeah, um, yeah what did you... What do you think of this? Um, well, okay. I, what, 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 I, I liked it, but I would, I would say this is probably the easiest way in to Mad Lib. Um, this, is, this is kind of the most um, straightforward listen. You know, it's the most sort of satisfying, pleasant, you can have this on kind of with anybody in the room kind of album. It's easy to get into. It's very enjoyable. Um, what's interesting about this one compared to others, you know, Madlib really relies on samples a lot of the time. The difference with this album is he's been given access to all the stems. So he's been given, he's been given the recordings. He's not been given the records. He's got the actual recordings to work with. So with some of these tracks, there's an amazing clarity and fidelity to them where it doesn't sound like they've had to be cleaned up. It doesn't sound like they've been they've been ripped off his particular copy of an album. Um, some of the tracks are so punchy, and it's so strange to hear him using vocal samples that aren't covered in 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 crackle and static. Um, to hear them so untreated is really really interesting. Um, but I don't think he just gives you a kind of bog standard remix album you know, like kind of jazzy hip-hop instrumentals. Madlib is someone who's happy to let a sample kind of play out a little bit. So what you get here, as well as it being like catchy drum loops and, and kind of funky bass lines and things like that, you also get playing and jazz. Um, compared to the jazz that he's going to make, that we'll talk about later, this is on the way more accessible side. Um so this is him. I think this is him knowing I'm going to have, because the album is full of interludes, where figures from Blue Note are saying, "Hey, this is Mad Lib's remix album," and you're listening to. So I think he kind of is aware of an audience of people who who maybe know better than him, or he feels know better than him, and he's kind of got feeling their eyes on him a little bit. So he kind of plays to the crowd a little bit. And it just gives you something very satisfying, pleasing, and accessible on this one. What do you think? Yeah, I, I thought it was also interesting that some, most of them are remixes, and some of them are him just doing reinterpretations. Sure, okay. As yesterday's new quintet, which we'll we'll talk about. So yeah, that's where that live jazz kind of comes in. Um, I thought it was good for me. It didn't leave that much of a because it's so accessible. I was kind of like, okay. I, I know, you know, yeah, I feel you. This is the one. This is the one I'd give to my mum. Ex- yeah, exactly. Anybody, you I know, think anybody I'd say like, oh, yeah. Um, but on the other side of the spectrum, uh, we've got next year, DJ Rell's theme for a broken soul. I love this album, Graham. I love. I, I love. I love this album. <laughs> I was. I was not expecting that. I was not expecting that at all. What for me to like it, or you for love this it. album to be like this? No, for you to like it. What, what did you did you not enjoy it? I just go on. It's so specific. So this is this is him, sort of changing track. And I think this is the most he's ever changed track in his, you know, other than exploring jazz, which has become like a fully 
fledged yeah, like, it's second a whole part big of giant his, chunk of his but discography this, but this is really him just going and saying i want to make this type of music for an album yeah um so this is him making um uh broken beat which is like a uk west london kind of polyrhythm cool sort of jazzy kind of like electronic music. music yeah yeah kind of like like it's kind of like before detroit housey kind of before yeah. that um but now thinking about it yeah it's your kind of thing and definitely it, yeah it's kind of it's like skittering beats isn't it sort of well i mean I, i've been listening to this album for a long time um so th- this is this is one of the handful of of madly projects that i've i've listened to a lot uh, and for many years um, just because I thought, I remember, I just remember looking through his discography a long time ago and seeing DJ Rolls and thinking, that's interesting. I, I wonder what that is, you know, and putting it on. And like you say, it is just so my cup of tea. Um, like, and, and it more or less happens from the beginning. Like, I, I don't, you know, you've mentioned this, this broken beat thing and I, I've seen that referenced. And I think when I, when I saw the little Red Bull Music Academy thing that he did in 2002, they mentioned like he was taking influences from some London club scene. I don't know anything about that. And for all I know, this might be a really pathetic Fisher Price version of, of that scene. I don't, uh, you know, I, I have no clue. Um, but this is just so for me kind of how, how danceable and, you know, particularly on the first song, don't you know, pretty relentless that beat just the it kind of doesn't stop the whole way through but at the same time it's so spaced out and blissful and everything sounds so far away all the vocal samples that come in are really quiet and watery and kind of like trickling around blown on the air in the background um and every now and again there are these big kind of everything locks into place into just really nice satisfying grooves um i i i, I kind of I, I, this is an album i can just listen to anytime I, I i really do just love it from from beginning to end um there's also i mentioned it with 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 seal i do like a bit of a catwalk vibe i would definitely have this on my catwalk show 100 <laughs> percent um yeah i i I, I think i I, I when i saw i think when i saw it in his discography and everyone everyone calls this as his electronic album you know he's made an electronic album whatever i think i had higher expectations right 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 um but what i do like about it is it it still 100 percent sounds like a uh, a mad lib album you can tell it's him you can tell it's him doing this you know, it, it doesn't sound like he's done a, like it, he's made a massive turn. Yeah. It's it's big turn, but it's still it's still in his ballpark. It still sounds atmospheric and spooky and sort of very real and lived in. Yeah. Um, I think, but maybe I was just expecting something a bit more commercial. Which I you know, once I started listening to more and more, I was like, well, of course it wasn't going to be that. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that that sort of took me out a bit. He, um, yeah, he is he is a genre chameleon and he do, he does sort of he's not going to do I don't think you know other than it being like Madlib so it sounds like Madlib he's wanting to he's wanting to make his authentic version of of this but like you say I do think you hear bits of bits of stuff from here elsewhere you do you do hear some of the spacier keyboards and his jazz projects and even some of his beat making as well 
I don't think it stands yeah. alone quite so much, you know. Um, but I think rather than hearing the Mad Lib stuff here, you do hear DJ Rails as an influence on other Mad Lib stuff, maybe later on down the line. Um, but yeah, oh, love this album, love it. So rounding up this sort of selection of albums, we're going to talk about um, the beat conductor. Wulib AM, the king of the wig flip, or W-L-I-B-A-M. So uh, this this kind of feels like, I mean, it's got it in the title, but it just feels like a really cool radio show, this right. album. It's 2008. Um, I just, I really like this album. Cool, okay. I, to be honest, I, I struggled with this one, not because I thought it was rubbish or anything like that. I couldn't get yeah. my head around the kind of what it was. Um, yeah, I know it was part of a um, uh, a series of albums for uh, a record. It's label. for BB, yeah, BBE, and it's part of the Beat Generation series. So they got yeah. uh, each producer to do their own, you know, just do an album. I think it started with a Jay Dillo album, yeah. so it's kind of nice that they bookended it with. And this was the last one, so they bookended it with this Mad Lib album. Mad Lib album. You know what, Graham? I it, kind of like you with the DJ Rails. I was really looking forward. to to this album because because it's ah. called the king of the wig flip and like when, when we, <laughs> yeah. like move, move, going into this into this project i saw that in his discography and i i like i would find myself just thinking <laughs> the king of the wig flip like that was just a, a a phrase going round in my head over and over again i don't know what was going on i was going a bit mad at the, at the beginning of this i think just just terrified by the prospect of listening to all this music but so it, i was like i was really saving this album i was waiting so I think, I think because it had played on my mind so much, it, it let me down. Um, so you, you were talking about this feeling like a sort of a radio project. Yeah, I think it's because it's got so many collaborations um, and they're all his mates. Right. So it's like, you know, it's, they're all, he's just bringing in his mates and he's, he's produced a lot of their albums and things and they're all just, they sound like they're having a ball. Like, I don't sure. know where this material came from, you know, yeah. whether it is, like, unused tracks, whether he, just, he made these, especially whatever. But for me, it's it's pretty cool. I also, just like he did with that, um, that shroom music, there's another track with, like, a really heavy... This time it's a guitar that he's made to sound almost like a synth. Right. Um, and he, he samples um, Confuction by Dave Richmond... And it's just this like cool guitar, and it's like wow, wow, right. and I just I love it. And and that's a song featuring Guilty Simpson, who we'll be talking mm, about we will. later. And I, from this whole process, I am so happy that I've discovered Guilty Simpson. Cool. I, uh, mm, he mm. is my kind of guy. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm the, 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 King of the Wig Flip jumped out to me as uh it had it had it had very high fidelity compared to some of his other projects it was still kind of characteristically yeah. mad lib but it had it had it was like a very loud album it was a very big loud album mm. um and I, I i just couldn't work out i couldn't work out because it's got his name on it you know you don't get many projects that actually have mad lib on 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 the on the cover yeah, um, I was kind of like, is this him saying like, oh, I, I'm going to have 
uh, an audience saying, oh, this is a Mad Lib album. It needs to sound big and bold. Does it have to showcase everything I do? You know, is it is this a collabor? You know, is it because there are like you say there are a lot of collabs on it. Is this me showcasing all the rappers I like? Is this me putting my best foot forward? I just I just kind of couldn't get my head around it. And even when I listened to the tracks back, I was like, taken on their own, they they're good. Um, they are a bit more cleaned up compared to some other ones. But as a whole project, yeah, I I, I just I just it just kind of didn't compete with me. Um, and it couldn't live up to the title. Screw your wig on tight, Graham. Screw it on. <laughs> so now we're going to talk about a big aspect of Mad Lib's musical life. His love of jazz. The, the, the big the jazz word. Yeah, and all the jazz that he now bloody makes. Because <laughs> he makes a lot of it. Yes. Um, um, I had no idea, honestly, Graham. Um about all this stuff before, before, before we did Madlib, I, I didn't have a clue about the full the full extent of the jazz. Even halfway through the process, I don't think I had an idea quite how much jazz there was because I kept finding new albums um, that we needed to cover um, and adding them to the end of my playlist and going, oh, another album, oh my God. <laughs> yes, there's a lot. I, I will say I, I like... The jazz that I've heard, sure. but I know nothing of, of jazz. Yep. Um, and I don't love jazz. I like it. I don't love it. You're not in love um, with it. But I am... No. But I am super impressed. I think everyone will be super impressed if you listen to these albums by the fact that before he recorded the first one, he didn't play any instruments. Mad was making his beats and stuff, but he was not an instrument player. And he was talking to me about a wolf and he was saying, look, I'm getting a bit bored. I want to do something new. You know, I want to make some jazz. And he was like, well, yeah, you know, sample some jazz. And he was like, no, I want to, you know, I want to make jazz. Yeah. And so, you know, as Peanut Butt does, he, he, he rented all the instruments for him. And he's self-taught himself how to, you know, drum, play bass, double bass guitar like he can play he plays all the instruments on these on these albums they're credited in the beginning to yesterday's new quintet have we used the word genius yet graham no he he is a musical genius this is where you see mad lib the undisputed genius it uh, it it really is it i mean i like you say I, i think the only instruments he actually doesn't play on these albums are horns. He said he, he can't he can't play them. But as we'll discover on one of the later albums, and I thought I heard this on I think the young jazz, the young jazz rebels album, uh, Slave Riot. He does sing into a trumpet. Oh, I didn't hear that. Uh, he said that in one of his interviews, and I was like, ah, I knew it. Um, what are the what are the albums we're talking about here, and who are the artists we're talking about, Graham? Okay, so we're talking about yesterday's new quintet, Angles Without Edges in two thousand and one. Yesterday's new quintet, Stevie in two thousand and four. I'll let you all guess who that is a tribute to. Stevie uh, <laughs> Monk Hughes and the Outer Realm, 
uh, a tribute to Brother Weldon in 2004. Sound Directions, The Funky Side of Life in 2005. Yesterday's New Quintet, Yesterday's Universe in 2007. Uh, The Last Electro Acoustic Space Jazz and Percussion Ensemble, Summer Sweet. And Miles Away. The last... Uh, yeah, okay. But I'd say, I was going to say the whole the name, name again, again, but you know, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> uh, Young Jazz Rebels, Slave Riot in 2010. Uh, and then finally, Jahari Masamba Unit, Pardon My French, uh, 2020. I, I say finally, I mean, I'm sure we probably missed one or two because as you've probably now noticed, he changes name quite often. Well, uh, he has a million different names for his jazz projects and th- i mean this is this is his marvel universe uh coming in coming into the marvel cinematic universe um coming into effect if you want to what i what i loved so much about this is when i kept digging into these albums i would be searching through discogs to find out okay who played on this what did he play what did he do what was he up to and every time you'd click on an instrumentalist or a producer, or something like that, you click on their name, and you'd end up on the Mad Lib page. And it's like, that was him, <laughs> and that was him, and that was him, and that was him, and that was him. Um, there are... There, there, there are a few real musicians on these albums. Um, that, that, you know, that Mad Lib is a real musician, I'm not saying that. What I mean is that, that he does bring in some people on one or two of the, of, of the albums. Um, but for the most part, the people these are credited to, the, 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 the performers that these, these albums and performances are credited to and the producers and the bands are fictional and they're all Mad Lib. Um, the best place to find all of them is on the, the Yesterday's Universe album, which is a big compilation, supposedly, of the various um, ensembles. And you do see that's the best place to find out What's the difference between these different projects? Do they differ? What are their approaches? Who does what? Um, but it does... That, that's It quickly spirals out. It starts quite simply with um, with the Yesterday's New Quintet album, Angles Without Edges. When you put this one on, Graham, what were your thoughts? What did you think you were dealing with? Um... I just thought, okay, I'm dealing with a lot of free jazz and jazz funk. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, okay. Um, what I didn't realise, which I only found out, you know, when I researched it, but I, I find a lot with a lot of these albums that your initial listen is, is fine, but if you actually read about the process and sort of or what the, the idea was, you, you do kind of unlock a bit more. Yeah. So I was interested to find out with this one that he would uh, play the drums and then loop them on record by hand to just make them sound a bit more interesting and free. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I quite like this one. I think because this is the start, this one is quite accessible. Yeah, this is, I would say this is, this is the one that sounds most like... What I thought we were going to get from these jazz albums was what you get on this album, which is more or less his yeah. looping and sampling and cutting technique as jazz so he's using that technique to create jazz and he's not he's no he's not making a beat tape of of jazz samples like with the shades of blue album 
is creating jazz music that you can hear, particularly in the drums, is looped. You can hear cuts and chops yeah. and, and things like that. Um, but I would say as, as the album goes on, it's a long album, maybe a bit too long, um, as it goes on, that kind of goes by the wayside a little bit and it just does become jazz. Um, but as, as far as I'm aware, yeah, I, I mean, that's the approach on this album. As we move forward to the other ones, I suppose the other very accessible one was the one you didn't quite spend quite so much time with, the Stevie Wonder um, yeah. tribute album, Stevie. Um, I, I enjoyed that. That's actually probably like the... Um, Shades of Blue album, one I would put on in company. Um, yeah, you've got an absolutely stunningly beautiful drum sound on there, um, particularly on on Too High. I mean, it's just so suited to to Madlib's style. Um, but what I liked about that was it's an instrumental tribute to Stevie Wonder, so you get that kind of slightly hokey, the keyboard is playing the vocal lines thing. So it sounds yeah. a bit like someone you might see, uh, you know, on holiday or, or something at some holiday park, you know, um, doing an instrumental version of... You know. <laughs> um, but, you know, that, that was just a pretty lovely, nice album. It doesn't quite prepare you for what the rest of this endeavour of Mad Libs is um yeah where yeah where do we go from there graham what are we dealing with past that point so we've got monk hughes in the outer realm um so monk hughes is madlib and the outer realm of madlib um, um tribute to brother weldon now this is a tribute to weldon ivine mm. who is a jazz musician that actually mentored mad a bit um they sort of when he first made yesterday's new quintet they reached, you know, they someone played it to him. Yeah. And he was like, you know, he, 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 what is he doing? He can't be doing jazz. And he was like, no, no, he played all the instruments himself. And he was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he was he was impressed, you know, and that's Peanut Butter Wolf was saying, once he heard other jazz musicians saying that they're impressed by this, he was like, he realised that actually, you know, he was he had a real talent here. Yes. Yeah, which is why I think he said whenever he wants to make a jazz record, he's like said, just go for it. Please do it. Go for it. Um, for My, this one, well, also, it's, just, I just wrote in that. Has it was it recorded in a spaceship? <laughs> this is a loony album. Um, <laughs> it's nuts. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is some crazy stuff. Um, and you you know what? Um, th- I, so you know, you mentioned not being the biggest jazz head in the world. I'm not either. You know, I like, I do like the big kind of famous, you know, Billboard cornerstone jazz albums that kind of everybody knows. But I'm not really deep into it. I don't have an aversion to it or anything like that. It's just a whole world. It's difficult to get into. I think through this project, uh, Madlib is a pretty good curator. And he's got a great yeah. habit of naming songs after uh, band leaders and arrangers and composers and great musicians. So it's kind of like, hey, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. I think just looking at the track listings for these albums is a great way to get into jazz. And it's something I probably will do um, after this. But I've always struggled with, I think, the kind of music that, that Madlib loves. Um, jazz fusion, 
psychedelic rock uh, and anything like that from the 60s, 70s and 80s. I struggle with that kind of music because um, it's it, it, it's loose and live sounding and the panning is all over the place and it's it, it's it's just a bit too chaotic for me to quite get my head around. And it's also not going for satisfaction in the traditional way with a lot of music. Um, but this, you know, being forced to listen to this quantity of fusion and free jazz was a bit of an education for me um, because, you know, like, you know, probably probably a bit silly talking about Cult of Luna in this in this project. But, um, I, you know, I don't want to listen to a 20 minute Cult of Luna uh, song because they're all about building, 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 building crescendo climax in a very, you know, to the extent that. The first 10 minutes of that song, it's like, who cares? It's building up to this big bit at the end. And that's where you're going to get your satisfaction. These tracks on the Brother Weldon album and elsewhere, they're not going for satisfaction at any point. They're not building to anything. They're, 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 you know, they're, so, so because you're kind of freed of the burden of waiting for the song to climax or build or, or whatever or settle, they're never going to do that. So there's no, there's no, there's no pressure to to kind of like sit and wait. You can what you get is what you get. Um, so you just listen to these songs as they come, and anything that comes in or drops out is just what happens at any given time. It's a totally different way of listening to music for me, and and it was it was nice to be taken out of my comfort zone in that way. I think it's also amazing that he's literally playing against himself, yeah, and. People have talked to him about it and, you know, he, he just does it. He just he tries not to think about it because I'm sure if he started to think about it, mm-hmm. it would, you know, probably make it harder for him yeah, to just yeah. get on and do whatever his process is. But for me, to wrap my head around the fact that, you know, when you listen to this, it does sound like there are four different or five different inch, like musicians in the same room yes. bouncing off each other. But it's all just him. Um, at least for the first couple of records, it's all just him. And um, I heard him say it's one microphone. After that, we've got Sound Directions. Yeah, 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 he's, yeah, he just does it, you know, in his room, in his studio. <laughs> it's insane. Like, but because, yeah, I mean, I suppose it, it, it almost, that it is him playing against himself, playing it one, you know, I play the drums first, then I play mm-hmm. this, this instrument, listen back, play over that, playing this instrument, and so on and so on and so on. He is collaborating with himself. He is playing against himself, but he's not. <laughs> Because he yeah. can't, because he's one person. It, yeah, it's miraculous. Sorry, Graham. I just wanted to mention the one microphone thing. What did you think of the funky side of life uh, by Sound Directions, also Madlib, uh, in two thousand and five? That is the that's the that's the most satisfying and and easy mm. easily accessible one to listen to. You know that that's there's loads of of really pleasant blissful grooves. That's where he brings on some some um, some horn players as well some session musicians that he records and samples and um and uses but it's it's a very beautiful short half an hour um straightforward still you know it's not it's not like a straight up funk album where it's very tight it's still loose um but it is it's the most blissful tuneful enjoyable kind of funky funky album of of this set what did you think i thought it was cool that he covered a divine image which is uh, a David Axelrod 
uh, composition. So the band I was talking about before where he sampled um, what he'd done for the rock band, yeah. now he's covering one of his own compositions. Um, that was cool. You know, all these different callbacks and things to his own, you know, he, he likes to go back to the same artists and things like that. And I think that's cool. Um, but so I think some of the tracks here would really do stand out, like The Horse, um, The Funky Side of Life, Theme for Ivory Black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is incredible. This was this was like I pinpointed this this one I quite liked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, of, it, wasn't, of, it wasn't as difficult. Uh, yeah, this is another one you could give to anybody, and it's it's very easy to enjoy. And actually, I I, I was kind of a bit more ignorant of what this jazz aspect of his work really was at this point. Um, and I didn't quite, you know, I didn't quite know what he was doing just yet, or the extent of kind of how alchemical it was um and my note for this album was uh has he got on session musicians for this one if these are original recordings the sound is so authentic it approaches a magic trick um and i and i you i think you can say that really for any of these jazz albums the, the idea that they'd be made in 2010 like they yeah. all sound like they're from 1966 or 1971 or whatever it, it it's it, it it just defies comprehension, um, and I bet you he did nothing to make it sound like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, 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 it, it, I, it's just like you say. He's he all he's doing is feeling it. He's not thinking about it. So it's just, it's uh, who knows how he does this? Because you know you you you've seen interviews with him. Even his yeah, closest he, he, friends can't get a complete sentence out of him. <laughs> um, so that's, who, not his, that's not his vibe. It's not his vibe, speech. So who knows how he's achieving this? Um, w- were there any albums here that you struggled with, Graham? I think I started struggling uh, from the next album onwards. Um, sure. Yesterday's Universe is kind of the end of Yesterday's New Quintet. It's him bringing on... Kareem Riggins on the drums and Ivan Conti-Jones. Uh, Ivan Conti, rather. Uh, they're, like, joining the band, basically. Yes. And oh, most of the records since have them on in some capacity. Oh, and actually, um, um, the, the the album that um, Madlib made with Ivan Conti is one of the albums, one of the other albums I didn't get a chance to listen to, unfortunately. Yeah, same I'm here, interested actually. to hear it, but I just, I just couldn't track it so down. It's... Um, is it called Sun Sunho, I think, or Sunjo? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, that it it did, and it's annoying because it looked like that was going to be a good one. Yeah, but yeah, really it's hard to get. But yeah, it's a shame. But yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah he from then onwards, and, yeah. You know, I think they're good track. They've got good tracks, but they're all very loose. I think that's probably because he's got a live drummer now, so he's got slightly more and he's more people to play off. Yeah. So he's really just going for it. Um, the yesterday's universe album is very interesting because it 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 brings in lots of you know brings in lots of new aliases and new pseudonyms i'm sh- i'm sure you could fully expect to hear um full albums from any one of these projects in future i'm sure we will get those i can't i don't know what i suppose the 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 masamba uh, unit album came out not that long ago so he is still making these jazz albums um yeah but I just found it fascinating to see the difference of approach to 
between tracks and you can kind of say oh yeah that is a typical jazzistics track or that is a typical young jazz rebels track or something like that um and you know sort of so seeing you know again with with the marvel thing seeing a little glimpse of the band here and then later on getting a full album where you kind of really get to see what is this band about what are their ideas what's their vibe what's their production approach it's not just arbitrarily going oh this is funny i'll I'll give this track a different name and this attribute it to these musicians he's you know he's quote unquote not thinking about it he is kind of thinking about it you know these are these are things he's dreaming up and he does see a correlation between the sound and the fictional artist i think I think he also likes to mess with people. You know, I've seen him yeah. in interviews where he, he likes to sort of joke with people and sort of... He likes people to take him almost too seriously and then he can just be like, chill out, man, it's, it's not a big deal. Yeah, his, his, standard, um, his standard joke is for someone to ask him a question that's a yes or no answer, say no, and then go, oh, I'm only joking, yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's kind of the Or like talk about a person. <laughs> yeah, talk about how he feels about a person. He's like, yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. And yeah. then he'll be like... No, I'm only joking. He's yeah. my friend. <laughs> Great stuff, Mad Liv. Prince. It's a good way of deflection. I mean, his his main thing is deflection, isn't it? He doesn't really want to talk about himself. He doesn't want to talk about anything but music. No, he doesn't want to elaborate on anything. He just wants to be gone. He's, he, he, wants to, he wants to be back, you know, just communicating. What, what did you think the of these last couple of albums? Um, so the Miles Away album... And the uh, Summer Sweet album by, and we'll say it again, the last electroacoustic space jazz and percussion ensemble, um, I liked quite a lot. Uh, the Miles Away album I, I really enjoyed. I liked, again, he, each one of these tracks uh, is named after uh, a, a famous jazz music, musician. Um, and I thought this had, this was one of the, of the, difficult floppy albums as i call them this was probably one of the more straightforwardly enjoyable that the rhythm is always getting upset the melody is always getting upset and interrupted things are always dropping in and dropping out there's always going to be a sudden change of temperature in in any one of these songs sudden changes of tempo um but this this was this was one you could kind of just settle into and enjoy you know more so than than some of the other ones um I thought also on the Miles Away album there was a strange tendency for these songs to start somewhere and within about 12 seconds that would fade out and then we'd actually get the song for the remaining six minutes. That happened enough that I was like, is this what this band does? I don't know. (laughs) Um, And then the the, the Summer Suite that that came out, a one-track kind of... um, bits and pieces record that's about 40 minutes long that that had some really fantastic stuff you know just 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 some amazing satisfying grooves and really really like you said very summery vibes very chilled out and blissed out but also quite energetic and frantic at the same time yeah kind of mad um yeah did you enjoy i mean i i can't tell whether you liked these albums or not at this point I, at this point, I didn't love them. Sure. Um, I did find it interesting that Miles Away sound, sounds a bit clean. It's missing some of the sort of crackles and, you mm. know, like mm. dust and sort of... It feels like almost like they're in an actual studio this time as opposed right. to in like a 
jazzy basement somewhere. Yeah. But then I thought when you get to Slave Riot, it's like straight back into that crackle and pop and sort of intimate sort of feel. Slave Riot? Um, I mean, so he did a... By Young, young Jazz Rebels. Young Jazz Rebels, Slave Riot. Yeah, did you hear that? This yeah, album, that was a full one. This is terrifying, this album. Yeah. <laughs> this is, so, because it's it's so... It's so it's dark, isn't it? It's, it's very, very dark. dark. It's very frightening at times. Um there is, you, you, you know, you do kind of feel like you're being pursued at certain points. You do kind of feel like you're you're in hiding at certain points, and like the the you know the the, the percussion or the brass is kind of, you can feel it moving around the track, kind of getting near you and and, and moving away. The way things are mic'd are so strange. Some of the percussion is barely audible. This is the one where he's singing into the trumpet a lot. Um, some of the, sometimes the bass. It's just sounding like the hull of a ship or something that's creaking. Um, <laughs> this is very wound up, scary. Uh, uh, still, but still, I did I did enjoy it. I wasn't kind of going, oh god, when is this going to end? I did enjoy just how completely mad and totally uninterested in your enjoyment of it it was from beginning to end, um, and even at the end. Um, there's the track Black Freedom, the most accessible track. You know, it's got, it's just about got, I said, oh, this one has a beat. Um, and you can hear a bit of singing, you can hear kids laughing, but there's not a pleasant melody to it. And it is, those sudden chills come in and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's jazz. It's just jazz, Graham. <laughs> um, I found probably the most latest one, um, Jahari Masamba Unit. Yeah, the most difficult. That that's a full on collaboration with Kareem Riggums. Yeah, fellow yeah, beatmaker. It's, it's them. And all I thought was, yeah, you know, it's very very percussive. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and qu- quiet, really oddly quiet, but noisy and shrill and everything. It's this was yeah, this was the this was the most. It's not the most plainly abrasive because it's probably quite a bit softer than than you know it's definitely a softer album than 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 Slave Riot, um, and probably has a bit more melody to it. But it was really hard to grasp, and some of the some of the some of the miking techniques and some of the arrangements and all the tracks on this were really short as well comparatively. I suppose they were on Slave Riot as well. It's lots of lots of short songs, um, but really hard to get into. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. Probably the least enjoyable. But yeah, that's that's his jazz. I mean, it's going to continue. He's probably got a million jazz records to release this year. Yeah, um, and, and I would say, listen to these albums. They're they're they they are they have to be heard to be believed. I mean, that is uh, it, it is ma- it is magic. It is a magic trick that that he manages to. To, to make this sound on his own and, and a handful of collaborators here and there. Um, and the, the, the depth of it, the number of projects that could come out of this is just mind-boggling. I'm also looking forward to p- popping them on and not being so worried about listening too hard to them yeah. and just letting them, you know, just, just vibing with some of them. Yeah, be good. trying to instantly get these albums is is... Not easy. Seems counterproductive, really. Yeah. To what they are. Don't tell me 
that James and Graham are going to speak for at least 35 minutes about free jazz and leave the cliffhanger at the point at which they're about to talk about mad villainy. The whole point of Mad Lib is mad villainy. Well, that's what we've done. We're not going to be talking about that until next week, but I think you'll agree there was quite enough to be talking about in that episode alone. Um, I'm still kind of amazed at the, the revelation of what Mad Lib is, Graham, as a, as, a, as a jazz master, as well as a beat master, is still kind of, I'm still a bit knocked out from him. Are you? Yeah, uh, I can safely say that Mad Lib himself, personally, has now gotten me into jazz. I am slightly really? into jazz. Slightly into jazz. Like, so if, if on a scale of one to a hundred, how, how into jazz would you describe I'm yourself? I'm at a solid you? 37 people. Bloody hell, that's loads. Yeah. That's loads. Okay, all right, fair enough, fair enough. <clears throat> I, I, I've, I, I thought I would be going back to it a lot more because you would have heard it was quite a revelation for me with jazz in general, but I, uh, I have not stopped listening to Madlib, but I haven't gone back to the jazz, unfortunately. But it's, it's always, it's not going anywhere, is it? It's not going to get deleted um, as you know, listener, there's a huge amount left to speak about. We'll get into that next week. The collabs, the beat tapes, the lot. Um, but in the meantime, if you're still, you know, if you're, if you're still doing the challenge of, of trying to listen to all his music, which I doubt anybody is, uh, in the meantime, you've still got another week to, to get it all in there. Um, if you want to let us know how that journey's going for you in the meantime, how can people get in touch with us, Graham? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProductionWisePod. And yeah, slide into our DMs. We want to know how you're doing with your Mad Lib journey. Yeah, slide in, slide in there. Um, I would also recommend looking us up on Spotify. Um, we've got, I've been listening to it a lot this week uh, in preparation for us releasing it, the Mad Lib playlist. It's really good. I mean, it's basically all I've been listening to for the past week. So if you if you go onto our Spotify, you'll find an accompanying playlist for every episode that we release here um, to find out, you know, kind of what what the what the producer's all about. If you listen to that in conjunction with the episode, you're going to know all about whoever it is we're talking about. You can find us there at Production Wise on our user profile. They're all there for you. A nice little back catalogue to be getting into. We, for the time being at least, will be releasing episodes every Tuesday. We'll be doing that once more uh, next Tuesday. So I recommend subscribing uh, to, to get that next episode to production-wise. You can find us anywhere you might reasonably expect to be able to find a podcast. Um, and, you know, give us some, some reviews and ratings and whatever. I don't know what that does, but that, that, that would be nice if you did that. Uh, it's something to read, something for us to do. Um, but that's all there is. That's all she wrote, Graham, on this one. Um, I suppose we'll just have to wait until next week to find out how Madlib concludes his wonderful career. What do you think will happen? I think we will find out how Madlib concludes his wonderful career. <laughs> <laughs>